Y'all can have a seat. First of all, the first thing that you're going to notice is I am not wearing shoes. Now, let me explain that to you because it actually does mean something. So ever since we came from Cincinnati and planted this church, this is weird. Can you turn me down some? Okay, that's better. I don't want to hear myself, you know. Uh, but ever since we came from Cincinnati to plant this church, I've had the conviction that Moses had when he confronted the burning bush. Because for a long time we were in a church building, we were in a wedding event venue, a wedding venue, and it was a great place to be. But I realized that Moses, when he confronted the person of God in the burning bush, the burning bush said, hey, take your shoes off because the place where you are standing is holy ground. And so ever since we planted this church, I've been convicted that I don't want to bring my dirt before God. Okay? I don't want to bring my dirt when I'm preaching God. Now, when I leave here and I come before this altar and I'm not preaching the word of God, I'm going to bring all my dirt before God. I'm an imperfect human being and I'm going to bring it before him. But right now, I just want this reverence for him. I want this respect for him. So I do preach without shoes. I promise you that is the reason. It's not because my feet get hot. It's not any of those things. I just believe I want to make this place holy ground. So today, we're going to try that out. Today is going to be a little bit different. Already, if you have been here for a long time, you see that this place looks a lot different. And it's not because we felt like it was not good looking or anything like that. We just wanted to make it a little bit more welcoming. And we wanted people to feel a little bit more comfortable. We feel like this is good changes. But don't worry. Everything's not just going to be different next week. We're going to take it slow and we're going to let God work. And we're going to be here before you guys working. Now, before we get started for the, with the sermon today... Here's what I want to do. Most of you know we're I.D. Clifton now. This is an exciting time in the history of two churches who have now become one. But this was a long process, a process ordained by God, and a process that required sacrifice on both parts to come together. And so here's what I want to do. There are people in this room who are part of Second Clifton Baptist Church. I would like you to stand for just a moment. Would you all feel comfortable doing that? Here's what I want to do. It's not so we create this unity. It's not any of that. I just want to honor you guys for allowing God to continue the legacy of Second Clifton Baptist Church as I.D. Clifton. So if you all will stand with me. If you are a member of, ID, of a Second Clifton Baptist Church, will you stand with me? Now here's what I'd like to do. Everybody who's here today, can we give them a huge round of applause? <laughs> Thank you guys for being willing to change, for being willing to become uncomfortable so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will continue to be showed in this community, shown in this community, and that the legacy of Second Clifton Baptist Church will continue for a long time as I.D. Clifton. You see, this week I was going through some stuff because this is a beautiful building and I wanted to see what was in here. So I went into the Sunday school room. This will be back. I just stole it for just a little bit, okay? And so this was in there, and I was looking at it. Y'all know when this is from? 1930. Listen to what it says. Certificate of Registration with Sunday School Young People's Adult Department. Sunday School Board Southern Baptist Convention from 1930. That's how long community 
Sunday school has been going on in this place since 1901. 1930 right here. This is history. This is amazing. And then I was looking through some other stuff in the library and seen that picture of Lottie Moon in there. For those of you who don't know who Lottie Moon is, we can talk about that sometime. But I found this. 1945. It's falling apart. It's showing its age. Y'all, this is a beautiful scrapbook of a family who went to Clifton and Here's what the most exciting thing is. Is in the back, there are words of encouragement that people actually wrote in this. In cursive, which I can't read, but I'm trying to decide for cursive. <laughs> but look at that. Isn't that awesome? Isn't this awesome? See, this is how long this legacy's been going on here. And then right here, Sandra gave this to me this week, and I got some books I'm going to read about it too. But this is a 100-year a service back in 2001. 100 year service back in 2001. I don't even understand 100 years. Like, think about it. That is a lot. That is amazing. And then I was going through some pictures and I found some pictures of the former pastors here. Look at these. 1956 to 1958 right there. Pastor Joe Walker. Lewis Gibson, 53 to 55. There's more. These aren't all of them, but Joe Bishop, 50, 1950 to 1953. And then this one, Carlton Robinson, 1945 to 1949. Okay, this building that we're sitting in was built in 1936. There is a lot of history. This baptismal up here, a lot of people been baptized in that thing. There has been a continual legacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. They have been working hard. They've been fulfilling the mission that God has given them. And now we get to do it as one church. Right? One family under one roof for one mission. What's our mission? Love God, love others. Amen. Change the community through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Second Clifton, Impact Dre, and I bring you guys here today to diminish, the, to get rid of those names and become I.D. Clifton. But I want to remember the history and the legacy that has been in that. And I thank you guys for your faithful sacrifices. Impact Train, you guys are driving 10 further minutes. That's a lot. I understand. And so I'm thankful that you guys have made that sacrifice to continue the legacy that God has started at our church in the last two years. 60 baptisms in the last two years. We're baptizing more today. We've given away two cars in the last two years. We're giving another one away today. See, God has been fruitful and faithful. And what better thing can happen from two families coming together than the continuation of the mission that God calls us all to. So today is a day in history. Starting way back in 1901. The history of God's mission for I.D. Clifton is right here today. Some of you might be wondering, what does I.D. mean? Well, it means identity. You pull out your ID, what's your ID say? Well, I am so-and-so. See, in the mission of God today, what it is is to bring a new identity to the community of Clifton. Because when you go out and you talk to police officers, you know what Clifton is known for? Drugs. Crime. You know what we're going to make it known for through the power of the Holy Spirit? Love. Christ. Transformation. How exciting is that? Let's give the Lord a big round of applause for all that he's done. Let's jump into the Word of God. Uh, 
Some of you might know, some of you might know this analogy that I'm about to do. Is anybody in here married? Or in a dating relationship? Okay. Some of y'all don't claim your other, that's okay. Uh, I see some of you are married, you didn't raise your hand, that's cool. But anyways, <laughs> marriage is a very complicated thing. There has to be a lot of compromise, there has to be a lot of sacrifice. Now, for those of you who are married and you have kids, when you were raising your kids, you had to have a parenting plan for your kids, right? You had to be on the same page. I watched some of those old movies and they were like, the dad is the yes man and the mom has all, she's bringing down the fist, right? See, sometimes that's like a disunity in your parenting and a disunity in your marriage. I know in movies it's funny, but real life, if your parents, if you guys aren't on the same page, what happens to your kids? They play you against each other, right? They play you against, some of you are thinking of your parents right now and you're like, yeah, I used to play them like a dog, right? <laughs> like I would do the thing that I, Matthias, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm doing, all right? So, uh, but it's, it's one of those things that we, we use those and we would use our parents against each other. And what would happen is it was always end in a fight because a house divided of it by it in itself cannot stand, is what Scripture says. But another man used that analogy way back. Good old Abraham Lincoln. Do y'all know Abraham Lincoln? Yeah, he did a speech... And he talked about how the, oh my gosh, I just forgot the names of the two. But the South and the North could not stand divided, that the United States could not divide it, stand as two separate things. He was talking in regards to slavery and the defeating of slavery. And he talked that a house cannot stand when it is divided. You know where he got that from? Well, he got it from Scripture. See, Scripture is very clear that when two things are in opposition to each other, they, they cannot be unified. And when two things that are in opposition with each other come together to try to be unified, if they do not change the mission and the plan, if they do not change the hearts, what happens to the house? Crumbles. You know the story that Jesus uses when he's talking about that is he's casting demons out and the Pharisees and the Sadducees come up to Jesus. And they're like, you're casting demons out by the name of Bezelzebub. It's a fancy name, right? You know what that name means? Satan. So you're, you're casting demons out by the power of Satan. <coughs> and Jesus looks at him and he's like, why would Satan cast out Satan? That don't make no sense. He said, the power which I cast out these demons is a power in unity with the Father. Because if I was casting out demons in the name of Satan, I would be casting out Satan in a house divided cannot stand. Because he'd be going against the wishes of Satan. But God is not a God of Satan. God is a God of omnipotence and omniscience. And he is a God of control. His plan, his will is carried out. And it's by his standard and his truth. And so a house divided within itself cannot stand. That might be something encouraging for those of you who are in a relationship or thinking about getting married. Get on the same page with your wife. Because if you don't, that's why 50% of marriages in the United States end in divorce. You want to know how many, what percentage of marriages end in divorce within, a, within the church? The Christian church in the United States? 51%. Want to know Why? Because we're not unified with the body of Christ. 
And we don't understand that marriage is the complete and total bonding of one, of two separate beings becoming one. What is the, what is the book of Genesis said? Leave your mother and father and cling to your wife and become one flesh. I don't know about you, but does your body ever fight against yourself? Like is the left side of your body like I want to do this and the right side like I want to do this? No, because your body works together. And if your body isn't working together, what do you do? You go to the doctor because you need some help. You need to figure out why you can't complete tasks because this side's trying to do this and this side's trying to do that. See, the church should be unified with one purpose. The church should be unified with one truth. The church should be unified within one body. That's why scripture so often talks about the body of Christ. And how the body of Christ, each person plays a purpose in the body of Christ. Like you have a purpose, and you have a purpose, and you have a purpose. But your purpose might not be the same as your purpose. And your purpose might not be the same as your purpose. But you play a piece and a purpose within the body. But if your purpose is leading worship, which it is, like that's what you do. But your purpose is being creative, which is what you do. And you say, well, my purpose is greater than your purpose. What happens to the purpose? You're disunified and you fall apart because the house divided on itself cannot stay. And so the church must be unified with the people with inside of the body. So if you'll turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I was like, what do I preach at our launch service? I was like, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? So I was like, well, maybe I'm going to start through the book of Ephesians and we're going to go all the way through. And then God was like, well, I think really all you need out of Ephesians is Ephesians 4. And then we can figure out the rest later. And I was like, okay, God, you're right, maybe. It's not, not maybe, yes. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so God brought me to Ephesians 4 and I started reading. And it just was a beautiful picture of the church. And five years ago in my Bible, above Ephesians 4, it says the picture of the church. Isn't it weird how God can tell you things and you write things down, but he doesn't fulfill those things until later? Do you understand that for a second? God never puts anything of his spirit in your heart if it doesn't have a purpose. Now, you yourself, you put stuff in your heart, but it's not from the spirit all the time. But when it's from the spirit, it always has a purpose. And so six years ago, God started to prepare this sermon inside of my heart without me even knowing it. Isn't that funny? Have you guys ever heard God prepares you for your mission? It's because God starts preparing you sometimes before you even know you have a mission. God starts getting you ready before you know what he's doing. God starts calling you to something before you know why he's calling it to you. When we were in Drayton Mills, I would say that Tara Sherbert, the owner of this mill, built this mill for Impact Drayton. That was the only reason she built that thing. She don't even know it. She thought she was building it to make money. But she was building that so that we could be there, so that people could come to know the Lord and we could see that community transform. How cool is that? Now you guys are like, Ricky, you're being very short-sighted right here. I'm not being short-sighted. I'm being father-sighted. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned for me. He wants to know me. And he wants to see the mission that he has called me to play it out. And not only me, but you. Cole right here is a mechanic. Cole, you got a big mission, right? I tell you every week, right? You got, Cole's got a big mission. God's been preparing it for it since he was five years old. Didn't even know it. You've been prepared for a mission long before you knew that you were going to be on a mission. Ephesians chapter 4, 
verse 1. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, when I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave them gifts and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in one faith and in one knowledge and of one Son of God became mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. <coughs> Let's pray because I'm not good enough to do this. Father God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for this day. Father God, thank you for the way that you have moved over the past 119 years, over the past 2,000 years, over the past 6,000 years. Father God, thank you for the way that you have moved to bring us to the completeness of your body, of your, of your purpose, of your spirit, of your love. Father God, when we were born, some of us in this room were born for a mission that we didn't know what would happen. We didn't know that 60 years later, 50 years later, 19 years later, that we would be sitting in this room hearing the gospel of Christ in a new way, a new vision. We didn't know that some of us in this room would be called out. We didn't know that some of us in this room would be called out to be missionaries, to be pastors. We didn't know that some of us in this room, all of us in this room would be called out to be the body of Christ. <clears throat> Father God, you are so good, and I thank you that you are above my understanding and my knowledge. I thank you that you are greater than Ricky Wilson, and you are greater than Bobby, and you are greater than Sarah, and you are greater than Kelsey, that you are greater than the names of humans who you love, but you are greater because your perfection is what we seek. And without your perfection, there would be no purpose. Without you, your son, your fullness, you, your father, son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this moment in history. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so it starts off with Paul saying in Ephesians 4, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul refers to himself as a prisoner. Who wants to go to prison? Nobody. Nobody wants to go to prison because what happens in prison? You're told what to do. You don't have any freedom. So Paul right here, though, willingly refers to himself as a prisoner. He says, I'm a prisoner. This is who I am. I am a prisoner of Christ. Why would someone willingly become a prisoner? Because they must not have no fear of the authority. He might have a reverence for the authority which contains fear, but he knows that the authority will never do something that will harm him. And even if harm is a part of the plan of God, 
He knows that God is there with him through the harm, through the distress, and through the things that feel like they're going to destroy him. And so you wouldn't, you wouldn't let me be your authority because I am not a perfect person. You wouldn't let me tell you what to do for everything of your life because I would get you in trouble. But God, the Father, when we become His children, when we enter into a relationship with Him, we become a prisoner because there's no fear of God's prison. Because God's prison is not a human prison. God's prison is contentment and completeness and fulfillment. And so Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ. Some other translations say, I am a bondservant or a slave to Christ. Paul is saying, I have no fear in Christ. I have all the reverence in the world. God can do anything that he desired. But I trust him to know that he will fulfill the mission that he has called me to. And so he says, live a life worthy of the calling. Be humble and gentle. How many of you in here are humble and gentle? Nobody. I know you guys. Sometimes. Sometimes. Some of y'all be making a grilled cheese and you're like, you ready for the best grilled cheese you've ever had in your life? Nobody makes a better grilled cheese than me. Sometimes I make macaroni and cheese and sometimes it's the frozen kind. And that's the craft macaroni and cheese y'all don't even know. Homemade macaroni and cheese? You can't make it better than I can make craft macaroni and cheese. Put some milk in that stuff. See, it is good. See, I'm not being humble, right? And gentle. How many of you are gentle? I'm not very gentle. Have you ever tried to do a three-year-old's hair? I can't figure out. I feel like I'm applying the right amount of pressure to get that thing in a ponytail. But she's crying all over the place. Saying I'm pulling her hair. You know what I'm talking about. So it's like I'm not very gentle. And I don't always bear with people in kindness and love. How many of you guys are on the highway? And there's someone going 45 and a 55. Not the highway. The road. And you're, you're going 55. They're going 45. How many of you are bearing with them in love at that moment? No, I, I know what's happening in that car. I know the thoughts going through your head. I know the things you're thinking. Because I feel the same way when someone's going 45 and a 55. Or when someone at work messes something up. How many of you bear with them in love? Now you have your good days. We're like, okay, yeah, I'm really gentle with this person. They messed up. And then most of the time you're like, hey, did you see what uh, Georgetta did? I helped her. I helped Georgetta. But she really messed everything up. I went there. I took care of it, but Georgetta just messed everything up. She had, she just, she, she should get fired. Right? Did that ever happen to y'all? Bobby, you know what I'm talking about. You say that about everybody. You all think you're helping people. And so we're supposed to bear with one another in love because we are all part of one body and one spirit. We all have one calling. We are all part of one love. In scripture, a lot of the times God would go and he, Jesus would go and he would heal somebody. And he would do it on the Sabbath. You got to the Sabbath is a day to stop. And he would heal people. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would come to him and be like, what authority do you do this? And he would typically say, the Father and I are one. I only do what I 
I see the Father do. I only do what I hear the Father do, and I only say what He tells me to say. See, just like in this scripture, we should bear with people the way that Christ bears with us. We should do things the way that the Father calls us to heal in things. We should bear with one another the way that we want the Father to bear with us. Because when you make a mistake, how do you want that person to bear with you? When you wreck your car, how do you want your wife to look at you? When you get fired, how do you want your wife to look at you? When you get fired, how do you want your husband to look at you? You don't want them to look at you and be like, I'm so disappointed in you. You've disgraced the name of this family. Like, you don't want that. You want them to come and wrap you up. You want them to love you. You want them to walk with you through it. Now, there's got to be a challenge in there, just the way that Christ challenges us to always continue on the mission, to always grow, to always not make the same mistakes. But we also have to understand when Christ comes and He bears with us, He does it in gentleness and kindness and love. And so we should be bearing with people in in gentleness, kindness, and love. So think about that in regards outside of your family. How are you loving the people outside of your community? How are you loving the people that you're working with? How are you changing their lives? Are you showing them Jesus Christ, the perfect picture of love and unity? Or are you showing them your backside? When you are in the workplace or the community or wherever you're at, how do people look at you? How do people see Christ in you? How do people see the Father at work in you? Or are you so disunified with the body of Christ, with the mission of Christ, with Christ, that everything that comes from you is anger, and everything that comes from you is hurt, and everything that comes from you is malice, and all you want to do is hurt people the way that you're hurting on the inside because you haven't let Christ heal you? How are you showing people the love that you have received? That can be hard sometimes. We're all going to make mistakes. I made mistakes. I'm imperfect. Sometimes I don't love people the way that I should. But our mission should be to do the best that we can through the power of Christ to show people that there is a life-giving power, that there is a Christ who loves them, that they are not as bad as they think, that Christ wants to come into their lives and change them and give them relationship and help them understand that they're not alone, that Christ loves them and desires them and wants to be with them and wants to walk with them. How are we showing that to our neighbors? How are we showing that to our friends? How are we showing that to our co-workers? Are we acting in unity with Christ? Or are we acting in unity with the enemy? For most of my life, I was in disunity with Christ. I sold drugs. I hurt people. I wanted people to feel the same hurt that I had. I was in conflict with Christ. I was separated from Him. He was not a purpose of mine. He was not anything that I cared about. My mission and my goal was to make as much money as I possibly could and be as powerful as I possibly could so that I would never have to deal with the real stuff that was inside of me, the incompleteness, the empty holes, the distress that I was in, the way that I felt about myself, the way that I felt abandoned, the way that I felt like nobody loved me and nobody cared about me. But then Christ started to call me to His heart And when I heard that I could be loved by the all 
supremus, the power, the all-knowing, the all-loving, the only God in the world who wants to be in a personal relationship with me. It changed everything about who I was, and I was no longer in opposition toward him, but I came into unity with him on a process called sanctification, slow and steady. And I begin to realize that I have to want what he wants when I'm in unity with him. Some of you in here today, you've been in disunity with God. You've been in opposition with God. What does it mean to be in opposition with Him? It means that you are allowing yourself to fulfill the desire of yourself. When our desire is everything that is not God, when our desire is disobedience to God, let me tell you, you're in opposition to God. And what God wants is for you to be reconciled to his heart through his son, Jesus Christ, so you can experience the completeness that he created you for. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, what Paul is doing is he is helping us understand that Christ has made us the way that we are, that he has experienced the things that we experience, that he has called us, that he has equipped us, and he has prepared us to come into a relationship with him. And after we come into a relationship with him, to help people get relationship with him. So I want you to think about this for a minute. I want you to experience this for a moment. I want you to hear these words. In your heart right now, how many of you feel like you're not good enough for God? You don't got to raise your hand. I want you to experience this right now. I want you to think about this right now. How many of you feel like you're not good enough for God? How many of you feel like you're in opposition toward God? How many of you feel like you need healing, like you need something more, but you don't know how to obtain more? How many of you feel like you just need to experience a refresher? How many of you feel like you need somebody who loves you? Think about that for just a moment. How many of you are so hurting and you feel like nobody loves you? How many of you are so unhappy with yourselves? How many of you are just trying to get through life one day at a time, not knowing what's happening? How many of you are feeling the stress and the anxiety of the world? There's a lot going on in the world. There's a presidential thing going on. There's coronavirus going on. There's thing after thing going on. Some of y'all in here don't have a job. Some of you don't know if you'll have a job next week. Some of you don't know how you're going to pay your rent. Some of you don't know why Christ has even made you. Some of you are trying to figure out what your purpose in life is. Your purpose in life is unity with the Father Christ. And when you make Him your desire, when you understand who He really is to you, He'll start to give you the rest of the plan. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be added. How many of you are trying to get things before you get God? You got your list, you got, I want to get a new car, I want to get a new house, I'm going to work through these things, I'm going to make them happen, and when I make them happen, then when I'm older, I'll have enough time for God. Or how many of you are like, I'm going to get these things, so you ask God for these things, but you never talk to God any other time. And that's your relationship, that's your tie to Him. How many of you are just going through the motions with God? How many of you are showing up to church just so that you can check it off your list? How many of you are reading your Bible app daily devotion one time and then checking it off your list? How many of you are talking about God, maybe to your wife or your spouse, but it's not deep? It's just out of, I better do this so she thinks that I'm still on it. 
How many of you are talking about God to your coworkers? You talk about the ways that He's blessed you, but you're not talking about the ways that He fills you. I've seen a lot of people say they have a relationship with God, but they got nothing more than a pocket Jesus that they keep there for when stuff gets bad. They can pull him out and be like, here he is. I got it. Here he is. I'm good. Here, it, I got out of hell when I was six years old at BBS. I can show you my card. When's the last time you talked to him? When I was six years old. Well, let me tell you something, my friend. You've got no unity with the Father. You've got no relationship with the Father. All you have is this false security that you hold on to because the Father doesn't want someone who comes to Him two or three times a year. The Father wants somebody who is with Him. The Father wants somebody who wants to talk to Him. Christ wants to hear everything that you're experiencing. Can you feel that for a moment? Christ wants to know when you're sad. Christ wants to know when you're in fear. Christ wants to know when you're so anxious that you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know what to do. Christ wants to hear when your bank account's at negative $73 and you don't get paid for another month. Christ wants to be there. Christ wants to experience a girl that you like. He wants you to talk to him about that girl or that guy that you like. He wants to be involved in that. Christ wants to be involved in your gym time. Christ wants to be involved in your drive time. Christ wants to be involved in everything because someone who has a relationship is completely involved with Christ. Think about your significant other, your marriage. You probably talk to that person at least a few times a day, right? That's what a good marriage is. It's communication. It's love. It's being together. Christ refers to a relationship with him and his church as he refers to a marriage. In Ephesians 5, right over there, it says, love your wife the same way that you love your own body. And it also says that a wife should submit to her husband. See, submission to your husband is not go make me a sandwich. Submission to your husband is I trust Christ, so I'll trust you. You can still put in your input, ladies. That doesn't mean you just got to sit down and shut up. That means you have an input in that. He wants to hear that because he's going to love you the way that he loves your own body. And I don't know anybody who loves their own body by saying your opinion doesn't matter. If your body starts to hurt, you're like, let's take a step back. Something's going on. See, so when it does that, it's referring to that picture of marriage, the bonding of two things becoming one. And so when we have a relationship with Jesus, it's two things becoming one. It's our plans and our mission being crafted into the mission of God. When you're in a relationship with Jesus, you're saying, God, I don't, it's not about what I want any longer. Because what I want is you, and I know that if I seek you, you're going to take care of every other thing. I think that's a scary thing, to give that kind of trust to somebody. Especially when you have all the anxiety of coronavirus. Especially when you have all the expectations of the things that you want to see fulfilled. Especially when you don't know what 2021 is going to look like. It's hard to say, I trust you. <coughs> but today, right now, in this moment... If you don't feel peace from the Father knowing that He has you, knowing that you can come before Him, knowing that He wants to be with you, then now's the time to change that. Not through walking an aisle, not through anything like that, but getting into a relationship with Christ and getting into a relationship with someone who can walk with you. 
who can teach you, who can disciple you. See, because the problem is when we come to know Jesus, we get baptized and then we forget. We're left. Nobody comes alongside of us. That's not unity within the body. Unity within the body is saying, here's a new finger. Let me show them how to be a finger. When you went to your first day of work, did they just say, okay, do it? No, they probably trained you. They probably walked with you. Because the Great Commission says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then this next part is how it happens. Teaching them to obey the commands I have given you. Some of you read scripture like it's rules and regulations. Some of you read scripture like it's this, this prison. That following Christ is a prison. The following Christ is freedom. It's just you haven't had the personal relationship to understand that Christ's freedom looks different than what our, free, our expectation of freedom is. And probably the reason that you're stuck is because you haven't entered into that mentor-discipleship relationship where someone walks with you. That's what Jesus did with his 12 disciples, right? He spent all time with them. He taught them, and they had a question he answered. Now, sometimes he got pretty rough, like when he told Peter, he'd like, get behind me, Satan. Right? And sometimes I say that to you guys. No, I'm just kidding. But... It's one of those things where Jesus poured into them and he walked with them. The book of Ephesians is actually a picture of discipleship right here. As Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus to give them a fuller picture of who Christ is. To help them understand that the body of Christ is unified. Today, I.D. Clifton, we become unified as one body. Today, I.D. Clifton, you each member is a piece of this body. So that means you have a mission within this body. But to be a, play, a piece of the body, you have to understand that you have to have a relationship with the owner of the body and the body. You have to be in unity with the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ is for you to love him and to love other people. One day they came and they asked Jesus, they said, what's the greatest command? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then they said, well, I've done that. What's the next one? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love God, love others. The only way to do that is when you're in unity with Christ. When you're fulfilling the mission of Christ. When you understand that he loves you in spite of your mistakes. That he's not looking to reprimand you. He's looking to gently direct you. He's looking to take his rod and his staff and bring the full picture and put you on a path of righteousness. That he wants to love you through any mistake that you make. Back in the day, Deuteronomy 6, 4, every day in Israel, they would get up and they said, men of Israel, repeat this chair. And he said, the Lord, our God, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. They would say that every day as a chant. They would say that every day to remind themselves that God is one. That God is in perfect unity with the Father. And that God wants to be with them. That God wants to fulfill them. God is one. And we must be one with Him. Some of you may be in opposition to God. You may be trying to figure out, how, how do I get in unity with Christ? It's real simple. You just start off with telling Him that you're not good enough. And you can't do it alone. 
and he takes you and he takes your humility he takes your gentleness, he takes your meekness, and he starts to prepare you. He starts to help you understand that he loves you, and he starts to understand that he's going to make you into something great through his spirit. Some of you in here don't know that you have a bigger mission than something you've ever imagined. Some of you in here don't know that you've been called to something greater than yourself. Some of you in here don't even know how to love yourself. Begins with loving Christ. See, it's a beautiful day of unity. It's a beautiful day of mission. It's a beautiful day of transformation. Because as we sit here before the Holy Spirit, we see that Christ is at work in every single one of our hearts, and that He is calling us all to His heart, that He is ready to do something greater than we could have ever imagined <coughs> the way that Jesus did something greater. It says that He ascended into heaven, but He also descended. He descended from heaven to come and live a life with us. To come and live a life as us. To come and live a life where he would understand and see everything that we experience, everything that we have. To understand the, the way that we feel, the emotions that we have. To understand the depravity that we have. And he would come before us and he would enter into relationship with us. And he would begin to change us. And he would die on a cross for us. So that unity could be created through the blood of Jesus Christ. So that our sin, our disobedience to him, our opposition toward him could be wiped away through the cross of Jesus Christ. See, God wants you. God wants to change you. God wants to love you. God wants to see that everything he has done in your life has been for a greater purpose than you understand. And understand that Christ has lived the life that you lived but did it perfect. Christ resurrected for you after he died on that cross. It wasn't over with that. Three days later, he ascended. Well, three days later, he was resurrected. Some days later, he ascended. So that you could be in unity. So that you could be reconciled to the Father. Bye, guys, and prayers.